everybody, it's Michelle Jackson. I am here for a pen posse interview with an amazing author. Diane Marie Brown is here to talk with us about her book, Black Candle Women, and uh, such a fascinating book, just a, a family drama with a twist of Louisiana voodoo. And we're going to talk to her about her work. We're going to talk about the book itself, what inspired her, as well as um, her next steps and her publishing and marketing. So I'm really excited to be here with you, really excited to have her, and let's welcome her on the screen. Hi, Diane. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, all of the great of, uh, independent authors that we have on the Black Writers Workspace, we are here just to learn from you and to soak up all your knowledge and hopefully uh, to be inspired to continue to do the work that we're doing. Congratulations on all the things that you have accomplished. It has been amazing to just watch you. Uh, you've participated in our workshop last year, sharing your knowledge with us, and now you're here to talk about your book, Black candle women and i just wanted to show that book to everyone how beautiful the cover is and i uh, really get an opportunity to connect with you and talk about this work so for those of you who hadn't read it you know i do encourage you to go out there and get a copy read this book it is such an amazing story about it's just an intergener intergenerational family dynamic with multiple generations of women who live together and uh, we're going to let diane give us you know a little bit more about the book but i can tell you that if if you're interested in a book that will talk about womanhood and sisterhood and um togetherness as well as finding love and mix that all in with a little bit of voodoo and mysticism from here in new orleans this is a fantastic tale so diane tell us about yourself and tell us about your work Sure. Um, well, actually, before I do that, I just want to thank you for having me here. I enjoyed um, uh, talking with the group before, uh, and I just appreciate, everyone appreciates all that you do for writers. Um, thank so, you. Yes. Um, so, now, and now I forgot the, <laughs> I forgot your question. <laughs> Tell us about your work. Tell us about yourself and tell Got us it. about your work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I have wanted to be a writer. I had wanted to be a writer for a really long time. And actually, you know, I look back and I'm like, you know what? I was a writer for a really long time. Because if you're, if you're putting in the work, uh, you are a writer. So uh, it took me a long time to think of myself as such. But um, I think what I really wanted was to write stories and share them with other people in um, some kind of form. And so I tried out a lot of different things. Um, I wrote a couple of books many, many years ago, had gotten to the point where I got an agent, uh, but that agent was never able to sell that particular book. Um, I worked on some other things. I did a blog. I wrote an, an online uh, soap opera <laughs> with episodes that posted every day that I wrote uh, using my friends as kind of the, the images for, for the characters. Um, I, I just liked to write stories. But at mm -hmm. some point I decided, 
you know, if I really want to take this seriously, um, I need to work on my craft. So I went back to school. My my background uh, is in public health, and I still work in public health. I teach public health and have worked at um, uh, county and local health departments. So always doing that work, but uh, decided to go back to school while working to um, get a degree in creative writing. So I did that, and that kind of changed, I think, my understanding of what stories should be doing. Um, I think I was just kind of uh, writing scenes, uh, but I wasn't building plots and um, I wasn't adding tension. All those things that we as storytellers um, at some point understand that we need to do. Sometimes, um, because I think a lot of things that I was reading, they, that I was studying as a writer, they would do these things, but they kind of did it so um, you didn't realize um, because just they were just telling the story so well, you didn't realize that all those intricacies that were in the story. So I feel that um, just for me, and not everybody has to do this, um, but for me, the decision to go back to school, I thought would be the best way for me to really kind of up my game. And there are a lot more resources uh, and tools uh, out there, out now, podcasts weren't, you know, even podcasts weren't really a thing back then. So um, being in that environment, meeting other writers, getting feedback on my work really helped me out a lot. And that is where I started this book. Um, and it ended up being my thesis. Uh, however, it didn't necessarily mean that this book was ready to be published and I was just gonna find an agent right away and get it published right away. Uh, that journey took uh, 10 years, um, more than 10 years, but um, before I got to the point where I had a contract. Um, and so there was a lot of work with revisions, um, getting feedback, uh, getting a lot of no's from agents that I pitched to, being close, uh, but not quite getting there. And so um, Black Candle Woman was actually a book that I had put away on a shelf and I had started writing something else. But an opportunity came in the summer of 2020 when businesses, organizations were looking to um, better connect um, with, with, well, in this case, Black writers tell Black stories because of um, what was going on um, in the world with COVID and then, uh, of course, with George Floyd. And so there is a particular um, uh, publishing house that put out a call for unagented black fiction um, or any um, black writers who didn't have agents, um, understanding that there are barriers and challenges for us getting our work to mm -hmm. um, agents and um, you know being taken, uh, seen in the same light as other writers. And so um, I was like, well, I already have this book. I 
had stopped thinking about it. Well, I never stopped thinking about it because I loved I love the stories and I love my characters, but I had kind of given up because I had gotten so many no's and I wasn't quite sure what I needed to fix or how I needed to fix it because with agents, they're just, you're lucky if you get um, uh, a response, right? They're just overwhelmed and busy and definitely don't have the time to um, give feedback. So that's really what this opportunity was is, Great in-house books said that they would give feedback to black writers who didn't have agents, and there might be a possibility that they could um, end up publishing a few, one, a few of the books. They said they weren't going to make any promises, though. Um, but that is ultimately how I connected with an editor. Editor there, there, um, my editor. Um, had interest in my query and my sample pages, and she asked for the entire manuscript. Um, months and months went by. I think they got about 800 submissions over a two-month period in the summer. And um, it took about five or six months for her to get back and let me know that they wanted to publish the book. And um, at that point, they also said they would help me find an agent because I they wanted to do the negotiation with an agent. So I was able to connect with my wonderful agent. Um, and then it's just been kind of a surreal journey <laughs> uh, <laughs> since then. Um, so excellent. Yeah. That is excellent. Thank you. I, I love the transparency. It, transparency and teaching us, you know, your process um, of how you were able to get your book deal. And, but the results of all your work is just so amazing. Um, your book is now being adapted into a TV. Is it a TV series or a TV movie? Um, it's being pitched as a series. So, a series. Yes. Yes. That is so excellent. And uh, Reed Regina uh, Bush uh, actually um, selected your book as one of her picks. So you've been on the Today Show. You've done media. Uh, you've had a, a hell of a year. Uh, and I'm so excited to just watch it. And reading your book, though, I was so excited to get an opportunity to speak with you about it because I, I just want to dig into the book a little bit. Let's talk about this amazing book. I mean, you take the book from New Orleans to California and you have these multiple generations of women who are living together and they are all struggling because of a curse. So we're not going to do any spoilers here, but I will just say that. So there's a curse. There's a voodoo curse uh, that is kind of the antagonist in this in this story. Talk to me about your relationship with New Orleans and why you wanted to um, set the scene in New Orleans. And you do such a fantastic job of talking about the culture here, the food. I'm sorry, I live in New Orleans, so this is so exciting to me. But you talk about the food, the culture, and this amazing, indescribable um, mysticism that's in New Orleans. And so you capture all these things very well. But talk to us a little bit about your connection with New Orleans and why that meant a lot to you. Yes. Um, so definitely one of my favorite places, one of my favorite cities. Um, my parents are both from Louisiana. Um, my mom is from a 
town called Bugalusa and my dad is from Baton Rouge and they met each other at Southern University and um, married after they graduated and uh, ended up moving to California because my dad um, was stationed here. He was in the military um, and then they ended up settling. They both became uh, educators and ended up settling in the Central Valley of California. Um, so my mom, my dad was an administrator, but my mom was a an elementary school teacher. So she had the summers off. So every summer we would travel to New Orleans to visit her beloved brother, my uncle Raymond, uh, who by then had moved to New Orleans. And we would just stay there for um, a week or two weeks. Uh, every summer to the point where I, I had friends there and they, you know, we'd look forward to seeing each other every, every summer we'd hang out. I'd bring all my Barbie dolls cause we traveled by train. Uh, so there's a train in the book and that's kind of, that also is connection to, um, to my, my story. But um, yeah, so it just always has this been this special place for me. I have a lot of nostalgia for New Orleans, um, especially just because it was so different from where I grew up um, mm -hmm. in Stockton, where where I lived, and the um, the high school or the schools that I went to, um, the neighborhood that I lived in, there weren't you know a lot of black people that I would see just on my day to day life. There are black people in Stockton, but just. Um, just the area where I lived and the schools that I went to. Um, and so when I would go to New Orleans, it, you know, that I felt like, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, they had BET. We didn't even have <laughs> BET in Stockton at the time. So um, it was, I just love the culture, uh, different types of food that, that I didn't have at home. And uh, just love seeing my my mom connect with her family um, because she didn't have family in California was really special as well. Excellent, excellent. For those of you out there, you can drop your questions and we can get to those. We are live, so please put your questions in on Facebook or YouTube and we will definitely get to those questions. It's a rare opportunity to have Miss um, uh, Ms. Brown with us to talk about her book. And um, this book has been uh, really fascinating to me for a number of reasons. I mean, the, the Montrose women, you know, a close-knit group of uh, women who are all living together in California and struggling with this curse that has impacted the family um, and has created so much so much secrecy and, and, and drama for all of them. And I must admit, when I read the book, I thought about my mother. I thought about my aunts. I thought about our relationship with one another and the fact that so often um, in these families where we, we have these these great grandmothers and mothers and aunts who are always protecting us and watching over us and loving us. We forget that they're just women, right? They're women who have struggled, who have had lost loves and, and um, secrets and have told lies and, and everything in between. And so that was something that was very interesting to me. So the question I have is in this story, you know, as you explore the, 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 the complexities, of female relationships within the culture and the, the rituals, um, the ritual confounds of the family. 
Uh, what did you want the readers to walk away having learned about female to female relationships? Because I felt like that was the real story here. What did you want the reader to learn? Oh, wow. That's a really great question. I haven't been asked this question before, so that's really neat. Um, well, I, I just feel that female relationships are, they're just so important. Um, at least for me as a, as a woman, those are the relationships that I've nurtured the most, um, starting with my connection to my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also had a beloved aunt. And so I, I really want to showcase the aunt's niece relationship because I just think it's a very, it's a special connection, right? You have somebody who's like a mother figure, but can maybe, doesn't have to be so limited, can go out of the bounds of what we think a mother uh, needs to do with their, with their daughters or with their child. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a special relationship that I wanted to highlight. Um, and then I also wanted to, this, it was kind of um, a, a method for me to, I, I'm an only child, so I have I did a lot of pretend. I had a lot of imaginary friends, um, but I, I didn't have grandparents, and I always mm -hmm. wanted grandparents because uh, I would see people with their their grandmothers and their grandfathers, and I, you know, seeing my children with my parents, and again, just such a an important relationship. So it was a way for me to kind of play around with. Uh, I don't know what that might look like if I had um, mm -hmm. had that in my life, um, but I I wanted to see relationships between these family members that can have challenges, um, that can deal with some major issues, but they could forgive, um, they could move on, they could um, have understanding and empathy for one another. Um, and they could appreciate the different ways that they deal with their lives and make their decisions. Um, so uh, I think those are probably the key things that I really wanted to show with uh, the female women relationships in the story. I feel like that was such a powerful piece of the book was to see the dynamics of these relationships. I did not have a grandmother around as well. And so um, it was very interesting to see how the bantering between the sisters were, was really good and realistic to me between Victoria and, and Willow and then the daughter and what she dealt with in not understanding the dynamics of the, the, the family and the curse. It was very unique and in a, in a great way to, to talk about the family, particularly the black family, because like I said, so often we have these ideas of what, we have these, these ideas of what that should look like, but a lot of times there is quite a bit of pull and push in these types of relationships, especially when you're under the same roof. So I thought that was so, so dynamic. Let's talk a little bit about voodoo because <laughs> I really enjoyed that component of it as well. But my question to you is, what was the real role of voodoo in the book? Was it real or was this more about fear? 
I'm not going to give it up. I know, guys, if you got to go read it to understand what I'm asking, but I, I am just interested in the character development and understanding the role because what kept me turning the pages about the book is wondering, is this a real thing or is this more about the fear that they had, fear of loss, you know, of losing love, fear of losing each other, um, that fear of separation. So if you don't mind, without giving too much, mm -hmm. define the relationship or how, what was the role of voodoo in your book? Yeah, I think it um, aligns, well, it, it really was a look at their beliefs and how strongly they believed uh, in something had absolute impact on how they behaved. So I think with all the women, if you kind of think about a spectrum of how much they, you know, we have a person in the house that has a very, very strong um, belief and um, daily practice with voodoo. Um, you have somebody on the other extreme who thinks it's all hogwash and she lives her life in a very different way. I'm talking about um, Madeline, who mm -hmm. lives her life in a very, very different way than her daughter, Victoria, who's on the other extreme. And I think all the other women are sort of in the middle and, um, you know, thinking about um, the decisions that they make, you kind of see them move up and down this spectrum. Um, so starting with Augusta, who is the matriarch of the family, and with her story, we go back to 1950s New Orleans and hear about the curse's origin. Um, and even there, you know, there's when she's younger, maybe she doesn't believe uh, what what voodoo might say or what if this these curses could be really true. But then it has an impact on her. And so that kind of shifts her beliefs one way. But then she's living her life and her belief kind of wanes a little bit. And so I think that is where the the connection uh, is with with their faith and uh, how it governs the decisions that they make. Absolutely. I thought that was that was excellent. And you talk about New Orleans and you talk about voodoo and um, the culture and you do such a great job of capturing all those things. Well, I live in New Orleans. I'm an outsider. I never I wasn't you know, born here. And the one thing I know about the city is that they are very prideful about their culture. Did you worry about getting it wrong in any way and how people in New Orleans would would um, would handle or whether or not you can garner their support if you do get some things wrong? And I ask this question because I have a book, a children's book, and my character is also from New Orleans. And just living here, I know how you know much pride there is, but there it also is a fine line between what is considered you know, acceptable to write about or to talk about when you're not from here and what isn't. So did you concern yourself with any of that or did you have anyone to come back and say, no, that's not right. That's not how we do this. Any of that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and I think that's an issue. You know, we 
um, I have some writer friends and we, we talk a lot about, you know, what, what are we allowed to write about? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, can you write about somebody else? Can you have characters that, um, have a background, a culture, um, an experience that is different from your own? Um, absolutely. Right. Or else, you know, I'm, I hope that I don't get to just have stories about black women, you know, for the right. rest of my mm -hmm. life. That's, that's probably my com comfort place, but you know, I definitely want to explore, but I think what, what writers, what we need to do is um, take a lot of care um, when we are writing about cultures that might be different than our own or have characters with experiences much different than our own, uh, do research um, mm -hmm. and talk to people, get input, get feedback. And so that's what I tried to do. I did a lot of, um, a, quite a bit of research. And, you know, you can, you know, you don't want to do so much research that you never get to the writing, which can happen sometimes, but uh, you you want to, you know, take care to be comprehensive. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, you know, I'd read things that, um, you know, one text says one thing, there's it, somebody else has a different interpretation. So I just had to do my best. Um, and I reached out and I found, um, the, the person that wrote the key book that I read, um, talked to her and um, got some feedback. And she uh, she helped a lot with pronunciations, which was really kind of her because she, you know, she didn't have to respond to my email. But um, yeah, just talking to people, I think, is really important. And, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I did a, a TikTok early on and I... I think I said, um, I said New Orleans and somebody said, you know, we don't say New Orleans, we say New Orleans. And so just, you know, I probably, I didn't even pick it up, but just being very careful, you know, that, that is meaningful. That means you're an outsider if you are saying the name of our city wrong. And so uh, I have definitely try to be very cognizant of my pronunciations since then. And if I, if I make a mistake, then I will own it and do better. Right. That's, I think that's all that we can do, but Absolutely. yes, anyway, I still have concerns about, uh, you know, getting something wrong, but uh, I think I worked really hard to try to um, get things as right as possible. Well, I tell you, you did a great job. You, you, the way you captured the food and the the atmosphere, um, you really did a great job. But you know, it, it's 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 just part of, like you said, I ran into a situation where I posted something online and I I said Nola, and I got the whole we don't we don't say Nola. So right, right. I was like, you know, I completely understand. Um, so it is. Those are some of the things that I'm just. Happy to hear you talk about this because as writers, we have so many different levels, so many different layers of things to to get right. You know, it's the the writing is one thing and then the storytelling and then it's the, the exposing parts of yourself in characters. It's the development of it and owning it and 
and the being authentic. It's just so many layers to it. So it's just good to know. I, I love that you said, I don't want to be put in a box where I can only write about black women. Uh, that means a lot to me as well. I think as creatives, we should be allowed to write all the characters that we choose to write. Someone on the screen said, when writing about voodoo hoodoo as practice in the South, it is so syncretic um, that there are different beliefs about what's the standard. It can be challenging. Absolutely. And, and I felt that way too. When I was reading, I was like, this had to be difficult to, you know, tumble, you know, to go into kind of unearth this idea of voodoo in this way where it can be perceived by people who practice it differently, by people who don't understand it differently, by people who think it's anti, you know, Christian or like those types of things can sometimes sway the writing. But I love that you stay very consistent with that. So thank you for who's that? Shelton, thank you for posting. Anybody out there, if you have any comments, please put them up. We want to talk to her. Um, let's talk about your character development. You've got Velanova and uh, Nana Augusta and Victoria and Willow and Nikki. And I, I'm still missing Madeline. She wasn't on my list because she kind of came in at, towards the middle. Talk to me about these characters. I know you said these are characters that that were part of your pretend world of family, you know, and building this this world. And, and all books are very personal. I just want to say that to everybody. There is always that personal aspect of it. But who's your favorite character? And if and if you had to lead the movie or the series that's being created, what life, whose life would you build the series around primarily? All right. Um, you got these good questions, Michelle. Um, um, so I have four daughters and they all think I have a favorite daughter and I don't, but I do sort of kind of have a favorite character. Um, or, well, I have my favorite to write is kind of a tie, um, but out of the primary characters um, whose uh, points of view the book is, is written from, uh, my favorite was Augusta. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I, I liked going back to New Orleans and seeing her younger and then comparing her to her current um, self. And her current self um, is not, um, she's not able to speak. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, a limitation that um, as a writer, not having her be able to engage in dialogue uh, traditionally, uh, I thought that was kind of fun to to play with, um, and somebody who had had this um, not been able to speak for decades. So she had gotten used to operating this way, and the family had gotten used to it. But I really uh, liked that that gave us an opportunity to really get into how she thought about things. She's, of course, very introspective. Everything that we hear about learn about her is introspective. So, uh, and she still found a way to communicate with her family. So I enjoyed writing her. Um, but I also just love um, Madeline as well, because mm -hmm. she, she made me laugh. <laughs> well, you know, Madeline, I think balanced the book 
There are right. two. That, those are the two things that you did that I thought was very uh, wise and intuitive to think about the reader is that Nana Augusta did not speak. So we did not get an overload of another dialogue because there was already heavy dialogue with Nikki and um, Willow and Victoria. And so to have her not speak almost made her such a powerful player in this. And it also did not crowd out the, the dialogue. And then Madeline comes in and she was like the auntie I grew up with. You know, she was the sassy. She was the one who's like laid back and let's eat. I don't really want to, you know, let's relax. Why are we up in the air about this? And that character was more that connected with me in a mm -hmm. big way. I don't know. It was just, and I wasn't expecting her. Okay. I wasn't yeah. expecting her. So that, that also helped to kind of balance the conversations, the, mm -hmm. the, the silent power that Nana Augusta had, but also the constant dialogue between um, Willow and, and Victoria and then Nikki. So it was really good. Here's a good question. Someone will comment here. Next question. It says, after writing the book on such a heavy spiritual matter, did you have a hard time coming out of it? I love that question. Much like when actors take on a role and afterwards they still feel like the character is a part of them. Um, I would say, well, less because of the, the spiritual matter. Um, because I just, I felt like that was really, I put a lot of myself into, um, I think like some of the rituals and the curses. And so I could kind of see myself in it rather than, um, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but it was more the the characters in the world. Um, I was just always thinking about them. And so, you know, I'm writing and then I have a thought and I, I'm dreaming of these women. I'm thinking of something that somebody says. And so I'm frantically trying to like find my phone and write it down. And so that's how they, they stayed with me. It was, mm -hmm. um, and I know some people definitely kind of feel like a heaviness if they're writing something that uh, has that sort of element or it's uh, dramatic. Um, but for me, I was just more thinking, I think, about their individual, um, the individual characters and, uh, you know, what, what, they, what might they say in this situation or what if this happened to them? And uh, it's funny, like, right, so I'm working on my next book right now, and I am just so in that world uh, mm -hmm. that I just, I'm thinking about them all the time now, which is, I kind of uh, like being in that place because, mm -hmm. again, it's kind of a, it's a situation that it's this, for this story, there, there are some heavier elements, but that's not what's really um, on my mind all the time. So um, I think it kind of just happens to us as as writers because we really we build these worlds and they are real to us. They are, and the characters begin to speak to you, and it feels uh, it's an amazing feeling. I, I've written three books myself, and and it really is an amazing feeling as this this you develop this story begins to take on a life of itself, and so you can definitely dive into that and 
miss some things going on in your real world <laughs> because you're right. so in tune to the book. So that's a great, great question, Shelton. Let, let's talk also about, uh, we talked about your, your, we, we talked about the women, we talked about voodoo, uh, we talked about New Orleans, but we haven't talked about is two things I would love to cover, well, three more things, but one is men in the book. Have you gotten any backlash over the fact that no man survived or was positive. Uh, in, I, can I say that positive, a positive influence in the book? Did you think of what was that something that anyone has ever brought up to you or was a problem for you um, in building this? And I never thought about it until I started writing out my questions. I said, you know what? I don't think anybody survived. I don't think anybody was left um, there except for Victoria's friend who she was beginning to build a relationship with. Have you had any backlash backlash over that? Uh, I've had I've had some questions that mm -hmm. asked. Probably not backlash, but you know, <laughs> yeah. people are, you know, might ask, you know, well, do you think is this what you is that what you think of men or are men just being are men just kind of, you know, side pieces in this story and uh or they're just I don't know. Um but they, those just happen to be the the men that are in this story, you know. And I I forget who I was I was talking to. I think a book club the other day, and they had kind of started going there. But uh, somebody countered. They're like, "Well, the women are just you could say they're just as as bad in some ways, you know." Thinking about uh, one of the men in the story. Um, is it a, a young man named Dudley Lee who makes a poor decision, but he's 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 very young, you know, and mm -hmm. you think about what you're doing when you some of the decisions that you might have made at 19 or 20 or 21. Um, you know, it I you know, it didn't make him him a bad person. He just made some bad choices. Now there are other, you know, then we have January and some other people who, yes, they are, <laughs> they're pretty bad, bad guys. But um, I feel like just like with some of the women, I, I don't think um, they were bad people. They made probably not the best choices, but with their mindset, with their beliefs, with where they are at the time, that's what they thought um was best so um Excellent. i think a couple i think a couple of them might be redeemable there may be i i agree i agree <laughs> i think they're redeemable i mean we can't be put in boxes we have to tell the stories that come to us and um it, it's just uh it's powerful though to see how they kind of pull apart and then pull together as a family i thought that was very very inspiring so you talk about you know you you get this amazing opportunity to get this book deal. Um, you're picked to be a book club um, selection. You're on the Today Show. You've got over 5,000 reviews. The book is doing well. Tell me about what has all this meant to you? What has all this changed? And what have you learned in this process? Yes. Um... Well, I definitely uh, have 
a and a true appreciation, maybe even a testimony uh, about uh, timing and God's timing, uh, because I I wanted to get my book published for, as I mentioned, for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. If I would have had my book published in 2014 or 2017 or mm -hmm. 2019, uh, that outcome would not have been the same. They, you know, definitely six, seven years ago, they didn't have book clubs, you know, these kind of um, well-known book clubs like they do today. Um, I'm sure I wouldn't have had the same agent. Um, social media was different back then and just the way that you connect with readers. Um, not, not to say that I wouldn't have had a great outcome back then, who knows, right? But um, I just feel like this was, and the work that I did with this particular editor, I thought was uh, the revisions that we made, I thought really were impactful. So I just have come to understand that uh, timing is important and I just had to wait for the right time for, for this book. Um, and I also am just very appreciative um, and note the importance of other writers in my life. And um, what I've learned being a part, I've been a part of a few different debut groups, people that debuted mm -hmm. their books in 22 or 23. Um, and a lot of us have major imposter syndrome and we have the same anxieties and stresses and fears and worries. Um, but it's because you know we're just we're just humans, right? We just have this passion to tell stories. We like to be creative, but other than that, you know, we're we're just human beings trying to um, make it just like anybody else. And so, just kind of taking those steps back, and um, I just want to appreciate the process, um, especially working on my next book. I, I'm. I'm realizing that that's what I love. I like I like the writing um, so much. Of course, it's it. Of course, you want to get your book out there. You want readers, um, but uh, I also just like making up stories, and it's just wonderful to be able to share them and talk about them. Uh, that's, I think, um, aside from what I just said, just talking to people, going to book clubs, uh, being on podcasts, and talking to um, to other writers and readers, that's that's really been my favorite part of this whole journey. Timing is everything. And um, I'm glad that you were patient. I'm glad that you put forth such a dynamic piece of work. I'm glad that you're working on another book too. Um, love can't wait to see the TV series once it's ready and, and out and um, excited to see you do so well. But one thing that I have always appreciated about you is the fact that when you were coming to New Orleans to Baldwin and Co, you DM me and I didn't even know you, you didn't know me and you were like, hey, I'm going to be at Baldwin and Co bookstore. It's a black owned bookstore here in New Orleans. And um, you were like, hey, come out. And I remember 
Googling you after you sent that to me and thinking, my gosh, this is such an accomplished writer and you're just so down to earth and you're so open and willing. You did the workshop for the Black Writers Workspace. You're here now. And I just hope that you always keep that, <clears throat> keep that ability to be um, accessible to writers because we need to be inspired. We, we are rallying behind you. Thank we you. believe in what you're doing. And uh, we're just grateful that you're willing to share with us on this platform and all platforms. I see you out there. You're very easy to talk to. So this, you know, it's not just that it was simply timing, being in the right place at the right time, but it was having the right work at the right time, speaking to the right audience and being ready to move forward. So congratulations on all of that. And thank you so much for being with us. Any final words for our writers and readers out there about tell us what you're doing next, what we can support you in and um, and just anything you want us to know and tell us how to get your book as well. Sure. Well, um, once again, the book is Black Candle Women um, should be available at uh, major bookstores. You can order it uh, through your favorite indie uh, bookstore. Um, it's an also, uh, I've heard that the audiobook is, uh, that people like the audiobook. The narrator is Bonnie Turpin, which uh, she's a wonderful um, narrator. She's done a lot of really great books. And so um, that's just another way. I've kind of, I've been doing a lot of audiobooks lately because I want, I want to read uh, more and that's, that's the best way for me to be able to do so. So um yeah and you know it's kind of funny just kind of thinking uh just like about something to share with other writers is just kind of that's what i'm doing on this book thinking about that audio piece as you write right um really thinking about how you know what you write might be heard if somebody is reading it out loud which that's going to be what happens when when a reader does read it. They're going to read it in their own voice. But um, I think just kind of that shift in thinking that you know there there's a lot more audiobooks that are being produced every year. Sometimes you even see contracts where there's an audiobook um, sep you know separate deal from uh, the the print version. So um, you know just thinking about the trends that are that we see happening. Um, not that we need, not that we should write to the trend, um, like topic wise, but just um, that's just something that I'm kind of keeping in mind as I write, having that ear, making sure that um, what I'm writing will translate well um, to an audiobook. Well, that is great advice. I 100% agree. I'm in the process of getting my book turned into an audiobook, so really excited to to have uh, to have that done. Your book was <clears throat> the first novel that I listened to on an audiobook, so I was really excited and really intrigued by how well I was able to just to just listen and understand and feel those characters in my mind. And so uh, I already know what Nana Augusta looks like. Okay. I already know her. So this is really good. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you everybody for being a part of the Pin Posse podcast with Diane 
Marie Brown. Please go out and get her book and support her. And when it's a TV series, please watch it and rate it and do everything we can we can do to support her because that's what we do at the Black Writers Workspace. So thank you all. Stay with me so I can give you a formal farewell. Take care, everyone.